I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. This morning we will look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. This morning we are talking about, we are going to look about, look in this text about anxiety and, and prayer. So I was excited about this text. I think this is something that we all need to hear and be reminded of. So Philippians chapter 4 uh, verses 6 and 7 will be, will be the focus of today's sermon. I would like to begin the reading uh, in verse uh, 2. So Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Beloved, before uh, we hear God's word, if you would join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together, friends. Our Father in heaven, indeed, we are wounded and bruised and sick as a result of the fall of the first man, Adam, into sin, who brought death and sin into the world. As your people, though we have been renewed and redeemed in Jesus Christ, and though our image is being restored in him by your spirit, nevertheless, we, are, we do suffer and we are bruised. And so we come before you, O Lord, without money, seeking to purchase the peace and the joy that comes as a result of faith in Jesus Christ and as a result of coming before you in prayer, worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you that Jesus has given us all of these things in himself, through his work. And so we pray, Father, that you would grant us grace to receive your word, to lay it up in our hearts that we might not sin against you and that you might be glorified. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Beloved, this is the word of God. I entreat Udia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. If we could summarize this whole section, verses 4 through 7, uh, which we began last week, if we could summarize this section, it would, be, it would go something like this. Be joyful, be gentle, and know peace. Be joyful, be gentle, and know peace. Last time we talked about, we looked at joy and gentleness, and today we are going to look at peace. So joy, gentleness, and peace. Now these attributes should sound familiar. In Galatians, Paul said that the fruit of the Spirit who dwells inside each of us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so these joy, peace, gentleness should be evident, should be exhibited in the Christian life. It's hard to imagine that we would not on some level be considered as salt and light, that's what we are, and that's what we are called to be 
in this world, salt and light, it's hard to imagine that those around us would not think of us in this way if we have these things, joy, gentleness, peace. In fact, this is precisely what makes us salt and light in this world. We might consider the alternative uh, to put these characteristics in sharp relief. There are people who are angry, violent, and anxious. They do not know joy, nor gentleness, nor peace. Such is the result often when we turn our backs on the Lord. In these two verses, Paul stresses the importance, indeed the necessity, of continual prayer for Christians. And in doing so, he emphasizes the peace that comes to us as a result of this persistent prayer. In the first part of these verses, Paul tells the church what not to do. That's how he begins these two verses. He forbids something. He prohibits something in our lives. Like when a parent forbids that their child have cookies right before bedtime. They're prohibiting them from doing that. They say, do not get into the Oreos right before you go to bed. Paul forbids something here. Now, you might expect for Paul to, if he's about to do that, you might expect for Paul to say something like, do not sin or do not dispute or grumble with one another. He said that earlier in this letter. Do everything without grumbling. Don't grumble. Don't complain. And so what is it then that Paul forbids here? Well, he says in verse 6, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, you might still, you might be sitting here thinking, and I know I thought this as I approached this text. Well, this is not what is expected from Paul. In a letter where he repeatedly exhorts the church to be joyful, to be joyful, rejoice in the Lord, to be unified, repeatedly he says that in this letter. Now he takes time to tell us, do not be anxious. Where is this coming from? What does anxiety have to do with unity or joy? You might also be thinking, well, this is not good because I get anxious every day. I'm always anxious. I get anxious quite a lot. Now, it's telling me, do not be anxious. So, what is going on here? Anxiety seems to be a prevailing problem uh, for Americans uh, today. Some people can be crippled, uh, literally crippled by anxiety. Uh, Paul clearly says here, do not be anxious. Not just the big things, either. He says, do not be anxious about anything. The Philippians were dealing with some type of opposition in their lives, in the life of the church. Possibly from the culture uh, was, the prob- was part of the problem. Perhaps it came from civil authorities who were threatening to shut them down or even possibly take them uh, into custody as Paul was in chains when he wrote this letter. Earlier, Paul said to this church that they should not be frightened in anything by your opponents. And so they were dealing with a true opponents in their lives. There was also the threat of the false teaching from the Judaizers mentioned in chapter 3. Paul says, look out, or he warns them, be careful, look out for them, look out for the evildoers, look out for the dogs, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so they were, they were to be on alert about these false teachers. In addition to this, 
he had just exhorted two women to end their disagreement. And he did it publicly. He mentioned both of them by name. And so if you think about all this together, if the church, if the Philippians dwelled upon how all these potentially negative things could have influenced their church and how these things could affect their church, then yes, you can see how they might be tempted to be anxious. You've got opponents, you've got false teachers, there's this unity between two prominent women. There's reasons to be anxious, it looks like, here. And so it makes sense. And this is what anxiety is, friends. It's letting your mind and your heart improperly dwell on something before you or on something ahead of you. You might think about when this happens. You might think about test-taking, paying bills, providing for your family, death of a loved one, your own death, or your sickness of a loved one, or the, your own sickness, finding a job, graduating high school, graduating college, applying for college, applying for grad school, marriage problems, issues with your children, issues even possibly with your grandchildren, performing in front of people, speaking in front of people. These all can be sources of great anxiety for us, can they not? Jesus told his disciples in the crowds at one point the exact same thing here. In Matthew 6, he says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. Do not improperly dwell upon these things, thinking about how you're going to get them or how they might be taken away from you at any moment. Do not be anxious about your life. Now, several of Christ's disciples would be executed. They would be martyred for their faith. Even with the prospect of death by execution, we are told, do not be anxious about your life. We don't see much anxiety coming out of Paul in this letter, even though his life was possibly on the line. Now, really, if we think about it, we can become anxious about pretty much anything, can we not? We can get anxiety over picking what movie to watch. We can get anxiety over deciding which restaurant to go eat at. Now, there are circumstances in which a person or a group of people, because of their abusive behavior towards others, there are certain circumstances because of abuse among people or toward others, they can create an anxiety-filled environment. You might think about the anxiety that children suffer as a result of neglect or abuse. Certainly, they suffer anxiety because of something that is out of their control. And we should all do what we can, especially parents and leaders in, in other areas, husbands and wives and other, and other leaders. We should do our best to create peaceful environments, places that are, for the most part, as much as we are able, free from anxiety. We can do that, provide environments like that for those around us. Now think about this, two people, there's two people in some type of relationship. One is prone to fits of anger, very violent, instable. The other person struggles with anxiety because of the behaviors of the other person, because of the instability of that person uh, they are dealing with. Scripture's focus would not be on the person with anxiety in that situation. Scripture's focus would be on the one who's causing the anxiety. Scripture would tell that person, repent, be gentle, 
Let your gentleness be made known to everyone. Provide a, a safe place for those around you where, for the most part, they live in an anxiety-free uh, zone. And so we're not talking about that necessarily. We want to affirm that that takes place. But I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here. I don't think Paul has that type of anxiety in view here. We could better categorize this anxiety or that type of anxiety when we're talking about abuse uh, or other things. That type of anxiety is suffering or sorrow in the heart as a result of persecution. We, we as Christians can be persecuted. The Philippians were suffering or dealing with opposition and we can have sorrow in the heart. We suffer uh, as a result of these things. Jesus endured this very thing. Right before he was arrested or crucified, he told, and, and then crucified, he told his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And so it's not wrong, in other words, to have sorrow in your soul as a result of something that is completely out of your control, be it persecution, be it something else. We, you will experience sorrow as a Christian in this life. That is not a sin. In fact, though, even as we think about this, where did Jesus end up after he said these things? My soul is sorrowful even to death. He ended up in prayer. Nevertheless, it's not a sin to feel sorrow in your heart as a result of suffering in this world. The anxiety spoken of here is different. It is not that. I think... It is, it is not that. It is not the experiencing deep sorrow in your heart and soul from suffering. We will be troubled in this age. The anxiety that is prohibited here is more like a fearful fretting or an obsessive worrying. That's what's in view. Don't do that. That's what the Lord is saying to us through the apostle uh, today. A fearful fretting or obsessive thinking about something. This is an anxiety that comes from thinking and believing you do not have a father in heaven who cares about you and who will provide for you, who has not provided for you in the past and whom you fear will not provide for you in the future. It's that type of anxiety. It could be this type of anxiety could be categorized as atheistic. Rather than prohibiting anxiety in your life, you prohibit going to God in prayer. You neglect prayer. You neglect thinking about how you do have a Father in heaven, and he does love you, and he cares for you, and he will give you everything you need. Instead of thinking about that, you think about all the ways in which everything might go wrong. Do you see the difference? Anxiety like this is the product of churches and individual Christians, families, eliminating from their everyday life constant prayer. And in that way, you push the presence and the reality of the fatherly care of your Father in heaven to you every day of your life. You push that more and more out of your thinking. And it causes anxiety. And so in that way, it could be, part of this anxiety could be categorized as atheistic. You are operating as if God is not there. That your Father is not in heaven watching over you every step of the way. Elsewhere, Paul says, pray without ceasing. The anxious person instead worries without ceasing. 
Now, both take energy, friends. Both are intentional. You do this on purpose. We do this on purpose. I do this on purpose. I need to hear this. I think about the wrong things too much, too often, when I should be in prayer to the Lord. So both take energy, both are intentional, prayer and being anxious. Now we should pause here for a moment and make clear that we don't want to completely disregard certain biological and physical malfunctions in some of us. Those do exist. Some of us are just pre-wired to be anxious about all sorts of things. And some people even have to take medication to help with this. And so some of us are more prone to anxiety than others. But we can all fight against this. And so we're not, we don't want to completely disregard those elements in the Christian life. Nor do we want to include in here self-inflicted anxiety. If you are constantly breaking God's commandments, if you are a thief, if you are a murderer, if you are an adulterer and a perpetual liar, I, you can count on living a life filled with anxiety. We should not feel sorry for people like that or having anxiety as a result of sin, persistent sin. So we don't want to include that in this either. And so we want to keep all of this in mind. There are certain biological defects in us that leave some of us prone to anxiety more than others. But we also want to recognize that we do bring upon ourselves sometimes anxiety that we otherwise wouldn't have to deal with. Um, And so we want to keep those things in mind. But Paul does say here, do not be anxious about anything. Now this command to eliminate unwarranted anxiety from our lives comes right on the heels of Paul saying, the Lord is at hand. Christ, who is our peace and who has made peace between us and God by his blood, he is near to us by his spirit. He dwells in us. He has given us his spirit, and so Christ is with us wherever we go. And he's especially with us where two or three are gathered in his name, and he's coming again. He is our peace. He's made peace for us between us and God. He's coming again, and when he comes again, he will do away with all of these problems. He will make everything right. He will do away with our opponents. He will do away with all of the struggles that we have, both biologically and in our own souls, with anxiety, namely. And so do not be anxious. The Lord is at hand. He's our shepherd. He's coming again. If we are burdened by anxiety, Paul tells us, what is the cure? What can we do? Where can we go to find relief? If this is a problem, Paul tells us very clearly here, do not be anxious, but pray. But in everything by prayer, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious in anything. Rather, in everything, pray. Do not be anxious in anything. Rather, make your requests known to God. You see the movement there. Don't put your energy into this. Put your energy into this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything, Go to your Lord in heaven. Paul refers to prayer here in several different ways. He refers to it as prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. He refers to it as making requests. Now only one 
reference here really stands out as different from the others, as having a different perspective, and that's thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is self-explanatory. Anxiety in the Christian or in a church can come as a result of focusing too much at times on what we don't have. But prayer filled with thanksgiving to God for what we have been given. Thanksgiving to the Father for the blessings that he lavishes upon us today and has done so for many years and will do so in the future. We give thanks to him for that. Blessings that we do not deserve. We give thanks to God for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. We thank him for that, something that can never be taken away from us, even though clothing and food can. No one can touch the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for his spirit, for your spirit who is at work within me, at work within us, that gives us peace. Thank you, Father, for our families, for our church, for your son, for the cross. Thank you for the joy that we have in Christ Prayers like that, filled with thanksgiving, focusing our minds on what God has bestowed on us and the things that can never be taken away, that can and is able to suffocate anxiety. It can also help with disunity. You give thanks for the people God has given you rather than grumbling about what you think needs to be changed in your neighbor next to you. And so thanksgiving, prayer filled with thanksgiving can help with all of these things. The rest of the words that Paul uses really just all refer to prayer. Thank God and his Christ for what you do have in in prayer. Give him thanks always. Have your prayers be full of thanksgiving. And there's much to be thankful for. And if you do need something, or you think you need something, take these needs to your Father in heaven in prayer. Make them known. Make your requests known to God. Making your requests known to God means that we intentionally and purposefully, with thanksgiving, open our hearts, open our minds, open our mouths to communicate with a living God in heaven who hears you. That's what prayer is. That's what it means to do this. Christ's blood has opened a way for all of us, each one of us, collectively in worship on the Lord's Day, individually with our families. Through Christ's blood, we all can act as priests in Jesus Christ and appeal to God who is able to answer our prayers and who hears your prayers. That is what prayer is. Expending your energy toward the one who is ready and able to help you, to give you what you need. Now, we are like children in this way, friends. Children cannot provide for themselves. They cannot protect themselves. They must appeal at all times to a higher authority. They must appeal to someone stronger than them. They must appeal to someone bigger than them to meet their needs. The Shorter Catechism defines prayer in this way as offering up our desires unto God. That is what we do. We give him everything that's in us offering up our desires unto God. We are told in the Psalms that we are to pour out our hearts to God, pour them out before him. Leave nothing back, in other words. Pour our hearts out to the Lord in prayer. Our prayers are pictured in the book of Revelation as the burning of incense and golden bowls. This is a precious gift that we have been given. 
the church, and no one else. Your Father hears your prayers because you are in Christ. Make use of that gift. Make use of that privilege. You are his children. Open your hearts up to the Lord in prayer. Let your desires be made known to him. Beloved saints in Christ, pray. And what is the result of this? What, What happens on the other end? What is the result of this kind of intentional and continual prayer and thanksgiving for you? Paul says you will have peace. Verse 7, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Anxiety then is portrayed here as an invader in the Christian life. Roman soldiers at this time, this letter was written, they were stationed in various places in the empire, in various cities in the empire. There, was a, there were Roman guards. So if you walked the streets, you could see their presence in the cities. And they were stationed at certain cities to protect from invasion from without, but also to protect from disorder within, to keep people in line. This is like armed, this is like the armed policemen that they station at sporting events, large sporting events. You will often see armed policemen right in front, right as you walk up to the stadium or walk up to the building where the sporting event is at. Why are they there? To keep fans from acting up. To hopefully discourage people from acting up. To keep order. Remove the guards. There's a potential that people will think they can do whatever they want. And people can get out of control. Anxiety is like the unruly citizen or an invader from outside the city. If you let your hearts and your minds drift away from prayer, constant prayer, anxiety can invade. It can cause all sorts of problems. Your heart and mind can descend into a kind of constant disorder, constant unrest. And this unrest and fear can lead to all kinds of unhealthy behaviors and all kinds of unhealthy actions. That kind of anxiety is what is in view here for the Christian. Now think about this, friends. King Herod, in the days when Jesus was born, he serves as a good example King Herod was filled with anxiety when he heard that the king of the Jews had been born. Jesus was born and it caused anxiety in him. That anxiety in regard to what Christ's birth meant for him led him to have all the young boys in the region of Bethlehem killed. He was afraid. He was anxious. What does this, king, what does this king's entrance into the world mean for my own throne? Will I lose my place in this world? He was anxious. And what did that anxiety lead him to? It lead to some horrific actions. To put it another way, King Herod had much power at his disposal and much wealth, but he had no peace. But we do, friends. We have peace. And we can access that peace more and more if we so choose through prayer. In Christ Jesus, that is how we are referred to here, We have the mind of Christ. We know our ultimate destiny. The Lord is at hand. He will make all things right. We know God, the God of the universe, the God who made all things. We know him. He knows our names and he listens to us. Christ has opened the door for us to have access to our heavenly father who has made heaven and earth. And so he's powerful and he is merciful. He's ready to help us when we need need him. 
The peace of God that Paul speaks of here is supernatural peace. It is peace that remains. It's sustained even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. This is why Paul describes it as peace that surpasses understanding. As Christians, sometimes we can often pause and look at everything that's going on in our lives, in our families, in the church, at work, and all of our responsibilities, and we can see it all laid out before us, and we can think, on paper, I should be freaking out right now. But we don't, because we belong to the Lord. He's in control. We have peace, peace, something that King Herod never had. We have that. And so pray, friends. We have this at our disposal. We rest in Jesus Christ, and we find rest and peace in prayer. Now, friends, peace is not a thing. It's not something out there in which we participate. It's not simply an emotion, though this peace does influence our emotion. It pushes out anxiety, for example. Peace is not merely an emotion, nor is it just a thing. Peace is a person. We have peace from God through Christ, who is our peace. Jesus is our peace. We go to him in prayer. We draw near to him when we open up our minds to him and offer our desires to God, unto Jesus. He is our peace. And so peace is a person. And we draw near to him. And that influences us in the way in which we either do or do not have anxiety. The Spirit causes the fruit of joy and peace to grow inside of us, and this happens as a result partly of constant prayer. In the Old Testament, Gideon built an altar to God, and he named that altar, the Lord is peace. Yahweh is shalom. Peace is a person. Peace is given to you from a personal God who loves you, who has given you Jesus Christ, who has given you his spirit. The Lord is peace, and so God is our peace, and that never changes. But there is a sense, friends, in which we as Christians must must intentionally and continually access that peace, and we do that in prayer. Now, when we pray, friends, it is as if, and this is how Paul presents it here, when we pray, it is as if we set a legion of armed soldiers around our hearts and our minds to preserve order. We guard our hearts and minds through prayer. That peace that God gives us in prayer, it is like stationed soldiers armed and ready to keep anxiety out, to keep order within our minds and within our hearts. That is how Paul presents it here. And so it's a form of warfare, prayer is. That is how it's presented in Scripture. Anxiety can cripple us. Anxiety can lead us to do things we would rather not do. We guard ourselves against that in prayer. The peace of God guards us against that. In fact, we could at times benefit at times from denying our bodies, food and drink, those things that can cause us anxiety at times. Where, what will we eat? What will we drink? We can benefit at times from denying our bodies food and drink in order to concentrate more on prayer. It's called fasting. And we, when we do that, we drink up the peace of God in prayer. But in general, 
That is what we're after, the peace of Christ. Christ is our peace, and we draw near to him in prayer. Now, friends, if you do this, if you pray like this, if you weave prayer into the daily and weekly fabric of your life, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you receive from God exactly what is promised here. Peace. Let's pray together, friends.